Vitame dos, Strings Attached. You're listening to Strings Attached, I'm Asaf Maud. A few months ago, in a very cozy apartment in the Swiss Alps, I sat down for a conversation with some friends. I have known these guys for a good number of years. They are the ones I share music stories with, learn, and get inspired from. The six of us are all violin players, and I thought I would open up with them the topic of working in an orchestra, auditioning, and the difference between their dreams and the reality of the day-to-day job. We started with a simple question. Why did they start playing the violin? Hi, this is Alexandro Sakarellos. I'm a Greek violinist. I grew up in Greece and living now in the States for the past 15 years or so. Uh, working there at the Detroit Symphony and spending my summers uh, in Europe, playing in festivals and swimming in Greece. Hi, this is Yun Shin. Um, I'm a violinist with the Houston Symphony and I am originally from South Korea and I've been living in the States like more than 16 years, 15 years. Hi, my name is Vivek J. Raman. I was born and raised in the United States, and I play in the Florida Orchestra. Uh, my, my older brother is exactly, you know, five years older than me, and uh, he started playing violin when I, around the time I was born. And so I heard it a lot, and I wanted to play. Hello, my name is Jeffrey Derda. I'm a Canadian violinist from a small town called Oak Bank, Manitoba, which is very close to the city of Winnipeg, where I currently live. Uh, with my wife and son, uh, and playing the symphony. It wasn't necessarily something that I wanted to do as a kid, but it was something that all of the children in my family did a lot of, and my cousins, and like music was always a part of our sort of education, I guess, and our family get-togethers. Um, and so I suppose I felt as a, as a kid that it was more put upon me, but um, you know, I came to, I came to love it you know, sometime later. I didn't always love it like the same way, but obviously enough to, you know, to do it all the time in the end. I have a counter story. So this is Philippe Fendrick speaking. I'm a violinist with the Dallas Symphony, originally born in Poland and have been living in the States for close to 30 years now. It's a little bit cheesy, I suppose, but um, when I was six years old, my father took me to a classical music concert as my big gift. I don't come from a wealthy family by any means. And that was a big deal for me from a small Polish town going to a big city, hearing a violinist perform live, a winner of Wieniawski competition. I was completely smitten. That was my immediate reaction. And I begged to play the violin for a good half a year before my parents actually allow me to have a violin. And then it turned out that conveniently there was a violin teacher living at the end of this long communist block in my town. So anyway, I definitely chose the violin. That was that was an obsession after that concert. And the whole experience of being in a big call and trains and Oh, that was just, for a six-year-old, mind-blown. I remember 
that I was very talented. Always they, people told me, you know, Asaf, you've got such a great talent. You should play the violin. And I used to play the violin. It was easy for me. It came easily. And then when I was 15 or 16, I realized I really want to become a great soloist. I fell in love back then with Perlman. And I thought, you know, I should be like him. And I was listening to his recordings and trying to imitate it. And suddenly, I started to practice many hours a day. And suddenly, violin is not just for fun. It's a serious thing. It took me many years to realize that I'm not become, going to become a soloist. But this was this period of time that violin was not more than just fun and enjoy the, the hobby. It became my thing in life. So did you have any of those moments? It was also a similar thing for me, a fun thing that I did. I was told I was good at it. I didn't apply myself very much with the amount of hours that I spent practicing until I had a more serious teacher around, around 16 or 17 that I started learning from and, and I improved in the first four months of studying with him more than I had in the last five years easily. And uh, he was kind of uh, instrumental in helping me to decide that that's what I should do with my life. I think my case probably have a quite different story from most of the people who are now like my colleagues uh, or let's say this, this level of playing that I actually never thought or dreamt of or imagined that I would be a professional violinist. I like music very much, but anybody could. Uh, I never practiced the violin. I, I would usually go to the lesson and play the lesson and then I would close my violin case and next time I would open the violin case would be the next lesson. And that was until the age of maybe 20, which maybe uh, sounds normal for somebody who's listening now, but for anybody who's a serious violinist, this is just not how it works. But at that point I was in the in the University of Athens in Greece in the math department and there was an audition in the city orchestra and I thought that's a nice way to make some just pocket money on the side. I, I was really determined to follow math and then I the audition worked out uh, successfully and I joined the orchestra and even though it, it was not the greatest orchestra uh, on the earth not the worst one either uh, I remember, though, in the first rehearsal, just hearing the sound of a professional orchestra and just playing, and uh, I got the goosebumps, you know, and uh, I felt, wow, this could be, you know, something to do. And then later on, I realized, like, mathematics and music, they, they have lots of things in common in terms of structure or, or kind of representing bigger things in the universe, uh, in our life. Uh, but it's true, music also has the magic. So that was the winner for me. When I was 18 or 19, my dream was to move to the States and go to study in Juilliard and become the best violinist on earth. For many reasons, it didn't work out. And I was disappointed for some time. And then I realized it was all for the better. So beside Vivek, that was born and raised in the States, all of you moved or played or are working currently in the US. I'm curious to know what was it like to come to the US? What was the, the difference in the culture between the culture of, of home than 
the culture of that you met for the first time in the United States? I came to the United States in 1995. That's just four years after the Berlin Wall fell. I come from a very small town in Poland. And arriving in the United States was a complete cultural shock. There's no doubt about it in every department of life, from um, sizes of stores, um, just a grocery store, to um, the language, which I, as a teenager, decided I do not need to speak English to go to America. It made perfect sense then, and um, that was one of the biggest mistakes I've I've regretted ever since. Um, but yeah, I just remember being for the first time on the freeway. It was a concrete freeway rather than the asphalt that I'm so used to in Poland. And I remember the person who drove me. I was in the back seat, and uh, he took off his feet from the pedals using cruise control which i was completely just sitting there with my jaw down like how is this possible that we're still going so um yeah my parents did not have a car i have never been in a fancy car of any kind before that point so um yeah coming to states was a complete complete shock in korea um and in my generation It was kind of um, the course everybody will take if you are um, if you heard like from your teacher or like from people like that you are talented musician, then like you you will go out go abroad to, like to study continue study um, at least to when you're in the middle of like high school time or middle school, but in my case somehow. It delayed for many reasons, and then I finished my undergrad in Korea, and then quite late um, because I only finished like the undergrad there, and like so it was uh, for me like the time like finally I have to just go abroad and to continue the study. So it was not something that I was like always like dreaming of or anything. It was just uh, the course that I'm gonna take as the next step. And um, my teacher recommended like some great teachers in the states, and I didn't take many auditions in the states. I think I was more passive than other friends on this table. So, um, but I was uh, seeking very badly for freedom from. My family and from the Korean society, I guess, um, which gave me a lot of pressure. When I landed in the states, and then I finally leaving by myself in the very tiny studio, um, I enjoyed every minute <laughs> just being alone. And for two years, I think like almost two years, although I had like great teacher. That I think like he's the huge like mentor for me like the for probably for the rest of my life. But I really like didn't play violin so much, and language was like the huge barrier for me. 
to make friends and to even go to school and like, you know, taking courses. So that was a huge transition in my life to get used to living in some different culture, different country and like learning new language and then making new friends. But all this kind of thing, like just now I look back and, you know, oh, it took that much of time. And then I, I was in the middle of a chaos like, in my life. But back then, I think um, I didn't even realize it. And then like two years I had passed. Both you and Philippe, you're talking about the language barrier. Although we are all playing the same music, which is kind of a universal language. And since nobody can see... And I will just introduce the, the, the faces I'm seeing. Vivek is an American from Indian descent. You're Korean, you're Greek, you're Canadian, you're Polish, I'm Israeli. And yet the, the music unites us. And I'm curious to know, did you ever feel as a foreigner in the U.S. or... Did you feel that people are treating you differently because the way you look or your profession? Or they're just, you know, music trumps it all and, you know, love, life is lovey-dovey. Not only living in the States, I travel a lot. So in many countries, um, I experienced uh, like some different treatment like from, you know, other people, like the foreigners, like the in their country. But then I feel very, very lucky to be in this field, which is music, that all the musicians, like, they have experienced like, enough like, to be international and then like, making international friends. And then like, they're so used to it um, since a very young age. So um, we know how to communicate and then like to be friends way more easier than other fields I can imagine. So I feel very lucky that I can just sit with this like amazing combination of like different nationality and where we are coming from, but like we are very much like um, bonding friends and then like through the music and then, you know, I think it's gonna be lifetime friendship. And it's very special. I definitely noticed after I moved to Boston that um, I lost a little bit of my Canadian accent. My vowels changed a little bit. Um, I can't, yeah, I can't say that I had had a lot of trouble blending in, but um, my sense of home definitely changed once I started moving around. Um, and uh, part of that is just getting older as well, becoming um, an adult. So you all went to school, music school, you finished it successfully, hopefully. And then what were the goals? What, the, what did you aim for? Did you aim for something reasonably high or totally unreasonable? And did it work? 
I think uh, as a, as a kid, you're unless you're extremely realistic, uh, the goals are always unreasonable. You don't. I mean, uh, the, I shouldn't speak for everyone, but for for me, I didn't know what was what it would take to do. As you were talking about stuff, when you thought, "Oh, I'm going to be a soloist. And I'm going to be the best soloist, and it's going to be awesome. Uh, it's going to. I'm just going to do it. It's going to be great." <laughs> and uh, you know, I'm sure, like. I mean, I had the same thoughts when I was a child. When I was a child, I was like, "Yeah, listening to these CDs of these great players, and be like, oh, I love these pieces. Yeah, let's just do that. At some point, I'll get old enough, and I'll just be able to do that and just keep on like experiencing violin, and somehow it'll happen." And uh, boy, I mean, that's of course you find out that that's dead wrong. And but I mean, the 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 dreams adapt to what you to what you're as you continue on in school. Um, the becoming a soloist, of course, changed changes to like enjoying enjoying solo turns and things. You know, when when can I you can play uh, chamber music and you know playing playing giving recitals that you organize yourself. I know Philippe can probably talk about that quite a lot because he not to put him on the spot, but Philippe is very proactive about making concerts for himself, and um, it's very admirable. Uh, mine changed to orchestral playing when uh, my teacher in undergrad sort of who was not an orchestral musician saw my aptitude for uh, leadership in orchestra and pushed me into trying to become a leader in an orchestra position. I'm curious exactly about this point. Did you feel disappointment when you realized that, okay, Solo career is not in my pocket, so I will have to play in an orchestra. I think it was a little I, it's both. I mean, um, that's, that's hard to answer. Of course, there's some disappointment, but that comes with uh, any sort of loss of innocence when you realize what, what something's going to take and that you're not you're not you're not that <laughs> at, or at least not that at the moment, you know um, So there is a little bit of disappointment, but then it's also. It's ex- it was exciting. I mean, I love playing an orchestra. When it's good, it's when it's good, it's good. Obviously, there's 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 ups and downs, depending on the colleagues that you are around and and your attitude, of course. I was one of those kids also who, like you guys have described, I also like wanted to be a soloist and wanted to you know to be the best and to be great at it. And um, that was a large part of like my enthusiasm for it was being good at it at an at an you know, at a young age and thinking that I was good. And so, um, I think how it relates to your ego, um, definitely plays into your motivation at a certain point, but as you grow older and as you experience more and you learn more about the art behind it and you, you, you foster like deeper connections with the music or whatever it is that you're doing, you know, a deeper appreciation of what's actually happening, then your motivations change. And I think that can happen probably at a variety of stages or ages in one's life. I hope my answer will not be kind of a downer and disappointing to the question. So I'm only going to offer it because I feel a little bit different than, than what was just described and also how most people feel about this. Um, in terms of that, uh, well, I already shared the story, but I never was planning on becoming a professional musician. So obviously there were none such dreams. 
But I think for me, even after this started happening, I mean, professionally, I never thought of a goal of, oh, oh I would like to be a, you know, a player in a great orchestra or a soloist or a concert master, but rather the reality of it was already so uh, interesting to me that there was not enough space to think of what could have happened or what didn't happen, uh, which might have been a part of my imagination. And of course, always looking higher, but looking higher in uh, terms of uh, all this musical experience is great and how could it be even greater? And then, it, you know, you could be in a different role. So obviously, if you're leading an orchestra, then it's different than playing in a section, for, for example, uh, in terms that you can influence much more things. Actually, that's, that's a poor way to describe it. You can contribute in many different ways. And so you're offering more, but it's also quite personally more rewarding. And if you play a solo, you know, with, a, with an orchestra, it's then even more of that. We are practicing most of our lives to become the best. We work really hard. We practice every day. And then you get this job, this orchestral job. It does not require you to be at your top game all the time. You basically can come and relax a little bit on the chair. I'm telling it uh, on purpose, you know, you can report the notes on time. And then you go home, you get your paycheck, and life goes on. Was this disappointing for you to realize that this is an orchestral job? Was this disappointing for you to realize that we, we trained to be better than the actual job? For me, no. Exactly for the reason that I didn't have these goals. Let's say, oh, I would like to be a, a member of a big orchestra. Uh, actually, I see colleagues who had this goal. And once this, you know, how do you say that the box was checked off the list, then they did exactly what you're describing, you know, feel, okay, I did it, I settled, uh, and now I collect the paycheck. And basically, sorry, they lost the love for it, if they ever had it. Maybe they didn't have it, but they had this goal that I don't know if it was their own or somebody told them, oh, you should succeed. Uh, in my case, and thank you actually for following up, because I feel exactly because of not having the goal, I, I'm not exaggerating, there is not one uh, note that I feel bored uh, during the rehearsal or the concert. Of course, there are instances that I'm annoyed by some bad programmings or conductors, but that's a different uh, subject. Yunshin, you are currently a concertmaster of, of a very big name orchestra in the States. You're a concertmaster of the, of the Houston uh, Symphony Orchestra. Did you imagine that this is the job that you will have at some point? And moreover, what do you think are the characteristics that it takes to become a principal a leading person of an orchestra? I never um, dreamt of becoming concert master of any orchestra. Um, but life led me to this point. And I feel very um, grateful to have this job. And as Alex mentioned before, um, that I can contribute in many ways to music and to my colleagues, 
to the orchestra like the, in music making, even if I never like dreamt of becoming it, um, I feel like I'm very lucky to be. Um, about quality for leaders, to me, it might sound very private and personal, but um, I always think that the attitude that you always want to make things better. And also, um, which requires the learning mind. So it will never stop, I guess, if you really like want to become an inspiring leader, I think. I mean, coming to the Very Bay Festival is also one of the reasons that I think like I can be inspired by great musicians and colleagues like here and friends in different circumstances and then like I learn something new and then I go back to my orchestra and I provide what I experienced and um, my knowledge is so that I can give this inspiration back to my colleagues. It might just look like um, I'm having my personal life, like just having fun here and there, but eventually like um, everything just comes to comes together. I think just by having like great life and great experience and then like just it just goes back to your work also because the music very luckily like we have the job that we love doing. What's your experience taking auditions and what's your experience now being on the other side of the auditions being in sitting in juries auditioning for new colleagues? So Yes, I have taken a few auditions. That's true. I have been very lucky that actually my first two auditions that I've ever... Let's say the Verbia Festival audition was one of them. So first three auditions in my life that I've taken, I've gotten the um, the result I was hoping for. So I was very, very lucky. And... Um, Taking auditions is is hours and hours of preparation for very, very short time in an American orchestra situation. It's a very short time being on stage and um, presenting yourself in the proverbial limelight. Um, so hours and hours go in distilled into seconds, minutes, um, and once life is in, hanging in the balance in that way. Um, I was extremely nervous. I can't even imagine the, the stress that it actually caused me to be doing auditions. And now when I'm sitting on a committee, I'm also very nervous for the people who are playing. It's I think it's very stupid, but <laughs> I I can't quite control it. So um, if I get the both the the honor of representing the orchestra and on the committee, um, it, there's another side of this thing, which is oh boy, do I have to sit on another committee? But 
if I get the the chance of of judging other younger people coming into or trying to come into the orchestra, it is also somewhat stressful for me because I really want the people to do really well. And also I want the process to be as straightforward as possible, which is never straightforward. But I'm always hoping for the um, a clear winner and um, for the process to be quite quite truly satisfied. So that's where I'm at with with auditioning auditions. Hate them. I think the subject of auditions is a very tricky one, and this is because uh, by definition, the concept of the competition is the opposite of uh, the point of making music, which is to express yourself. However, in the audition, uh, you know you have one spot or two spots, and then you have 200 candidates, so you know it's a competition, and then you have to pick, so to say, the best. But what is the best? That limits very much the players from being uh, free and expressive, which is what you want in music. And uh, I'll give an example of how the audition works. So you have a committee from, let's say, the, the people who are already in the orchestra and then the, the people who are auditioning. And then usually, you know, there is a vote about the candidates. Obviously, the candidate with the most votes wins. That could mean, and I don't mean this as a, discouragement from anybody who wants to take auditions that a kind of lukewarm player that nobody really liked I mean nobody really loved but also nobody hated can get uh, you know nine or ten votes out of twelve because they didn't make any mistake you know more or less they, they had a good intonation good sense of rhythm although that, that can also be discussable what is a good sense of rhythm another player They really played their heart out and they had a very strong, let's say, interpretation. That can make, like everything in life, friends and enemies. Now, that person ends up with only five votes, let's say, of the lovers and seven of the haters because nobody will think, well, I don't agree with this person, but they, you know, they were very expressive. It might sound a little bit negative, the picture I'm drawing, but if anybody is listening who is, you know, Uh, in the audition panels, I would like to use this as an encouragement to think the other way. Like, I find myself really quite often like hearing a player that I think, oh, I would never play like that. But I, I like how truthful they are to their intention and how convincingly they, they played. What do you like to do on your spare time, on your free time, besides playing the violin and working in an orchestra? What is it that you do that makes you happy? I have dabbled in pottery, I've dabbled in woodworking, I've dabbled in house renovations, in car repair. Yeah, I've, I've tried to expand my horizons as much as possible. You never want to ask, answer this question after Philippe, but, um, <laughs> but uh, I've always been a, uh, I've always been really fascinated by computers since I was a kid, so I, I, spend a lot of time with computers I'm you know big computer nerd I build my own and I build my own keyboard peripherals um, stuff like that I like very much skiing and I like very much uh, 
swimming and spending time on the Greek beach. I also like skiing. <laughs> I actually like being in nature. Um, and, you know, so that I can like just be far from some small things that, you know, can just put me in unnecessary thoughts and kind of thing, like just being away. I like it. And yeah, having space. Nature gives me a lot of recharge. Um, and I live in Florida and it never, get t- it's, it never gets old to, to step outside on my porch during the winter months and open the door first thing in the morning while you're making coffee and have the weather be that nice. And I, other than that, I think that uh, just cooking is another hobby of mine um, that... Uh, the love for cooking keeps keeps growing as I as I get older. I'm listening to all of you talking, and I realize that you all have chosen things that are tangible in comparison to making music, which is something that goes away after the performance. Do you think we do it on purpose? That we choose to do something that has an actual result and an actual something that we can measure, that we can feel, instead of just making music yeah there's something elusive obviously about about um making music and and making art in that way um that you know like you put so much time into it over so many years and then uh, i mean you can make recordings um and that's a whole other area yeah if you're just playing it it happens in that moment and then it's not there anymore you know, sometimes I wish, I wish I had something, <laughs> something I could <laughs> hold on to at the end of the day, you know? Seems like all the, you know, outside the music things that we do are really outside music. At least those were the answers delivered here. And I think the reason for that is because inspiration from music doesn't just come from music. It comes from life. And if somebody wrote a symphony, you know, or, or wrote a poem or whatever, it was not to make art but it was because somebody was in love or you know so some life event so I think it's very normal for us that in the so to say free time we do something else but actually that something else recycles gives energy and, and goes back to music making but just in a different way the next day this is for sure the episode I put the most time editing and I truly hope you liked it if you did Please leave a comment or rate the podcast on Apple or Spotify. Thank you to Yunshin, Alex, Vivek, Jeff and Philippe for their insights. I'm sure that if you are a musician, you could relate or if you are currently taking auditions. I'd love to hear from you. Maybe we could start an open discussion about it. I'm available on Facebook, Strings Attached Podcast, or Instagram, Asaf Maoz. The music in this episode is, of course, performed by the Verbia Festival Chamber Orchestra, conducted by Gabo Takac. Hope you enjoyed this episode. I'm Asaf Maoz, and this is Strings Attached. Kalos ilthades to Strings Attached. String Attached, mani turochuseyo. Welcome to Strings Attached, Dave boys. Maybe we can all get together and grab a few cold ones after. <laughs> Yes. Okay, that was Canadian. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Perfect. Thank you.